0: So we are in this series, it's called Why, it's about rituals. So just so you know, everyone's doing this series, who's a part of our church, the the fellas at RCMU, the Rapid City Minimum Unit, this morning are going through this, we're all going through this together, talking about the things that we do as a church, but more importantly, why. I I at least my experience is perhaps yours, you and I will oftentimes do things at church and we'll stand up and sit down and we'll pray and we'll go through these rituals and and we'll have those moments and you remember the moments, but but many of us are like, I couldn't really tell you all of why we do that. And we think playing church is a waste of time. We wanna make sure that we don't play church is that we honor God with the things that we do. So we've been doing this series. We launched last week with funerals. Now, I know some of you are like, so that's the one not to go watch or listen to. You're like, thank you. I had to do it first, by the way, or you you would have not come to that weekend. So I mean this with all of my heart, all sincerity. Don't wait for grief to happen to talk about grief. Prepare yourselves for those moments. And I don't think it's a a doom and gloom sermon. I really think that you you ought to watch it or listen to it and and put an extra tool in your life that will help you. So this week... We're gonna we're gonna go more positive! Yay, weddings! Unless you've ever planned a wedding, you're like, I know it's stressful. I hate them with a deep passion. Weddings for most of us, uh, from the outside, like this, is so precious, so precious, so wonderful. But if you've ever orchestrated one, uh, or in my case, officiated one, you know that there's a lot of behind the scenes of messiness and craziness. Just to help everyone know, every family has weird people. Every family has weird people that say awkward things in the worst case scenarios, and so, uh, but we're gonna talk about weddings today. Hopefully, by the end, you'll know with great clarity that the next time you attend one, or maybe when you're a part of one, you're gonna know what's going on and why it's going on. So let me give you the definition for rituals that we launched off with. Rituals help us express our deepest thoughts and feelings about what we hold as important. Rituals are not intended to to make you feel religious. They're they're not intended to to bore you or confuse you. Uh, Rituals are intended, they're put in place in order so for us to express what we really think and even what we feel about some reality situations. And this definition is what we're launching off on. So let's go in weddings. I thought it'd be appropriate to talk about some facts. So we put some numbers together, these are averages. $1,357 $1,357 is the average going price for a wedding dress. For those of you who, well, let's just say you're responsible for paying for a wedding, you're gonna hate this whole illustration. No, 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 here's what I did not intend to do, is it was to give anyone, well, let's just say, ammunition, to, t- to have a conversation, like, pastor said this is what we should pay. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. But just showing you averages. These are not numbers that, that I just you know, came up with. I'm not suggesting these, but $1,357 is the average for an American wedding, for, for a dress. Uh, 136 people is the average amount of people that attend a wedding. That's the average. You know, some are smaller, some are larger. And, and I would tell you from my experiences as of late, that's pretty accurate, if not even smaller than that. June is the month. It's the month. It's the month that everyone chooses or wants to choose. If you're deciding now if June is an option for you this year, (laughs) good luck on that one. Uh, So let me tell you, you may not know this just in my wonderful studies. Second place, October. I don't know why, but October. October is the second month, but June is the most popular month. And then the kicker, which you have probably already surmised, uh, $31,214 is the average cost of an American wedding. If you need to throw up, there are trash cans out in the lobby. <laughs> <clears throat> I, have, I have one daughter, and so after gathering this information, we'll probably suggest eloping, but I don't, I, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, No, no, no. Let me let me lower some of your anxiety for those of you like I can't do this. We can't do this. The average rapid city wedding, wedding, according to what I found online. Don't don't worry, it's it's only twenty (laughs) three thousand. Do Do we go to college or do we have? I mean, what's (laughs) some some couples are now like? Okay, we're just gonna ask for a car. Like we'll do a little simple. (laughs) But that's expensive. so, so Katie and I got married. Let me help you. Some of you are like, oh, no, the, the dollars are, are making you feel like you're drowning. Let me help you. Katie and I got married, and, and it was an incredible wedding. My, my dad and my grandpa officiated it, and it was just it was awesome. When, when Katie came down the aisle, like I, like I wept like a baby. and this, It was awesome. It was really special. Then we had the reception afterwards. And, and for those of you who are freaking out, like, where's the most beautiful reception place you could ever go to and, and, and Katie and I, our, our wedding, we, we began planning and, and everything was booked and so we finally found one place and so I'm going to show you the wedding photo that I display on my desk. It's my favorite wedding photo. Take a look at this picture. Okay and I'm not joking by the way. This is the one really on my desk and, and she's looking at me like I can't believe I married you but, but I was like oh, I got a document now uh, but my favorite is is the fallout shelter sign in the back. <laughs> we're classy. We're classy. If you wanna know where our reception was, in a fallout shelter, which if you aren't familiar with fallout shelters, there's no windows, there's no prettiness about it. And in fact, you can't see it there, but in the back room, there's a bar of people who refused to close the bar down. They weren't at the wedding or reception. They, they were mad we were there, but they were there. It was weird. But our marriage is working, and it's thriving. So for those of you who are like, we got to spend all this money. No, you don't. And in fact, you know it's not the cost of a wedding. It's the person you're getting married to. <clears throat> so we're going to walk through, though, because this ceremony, this ceremony that for some is an incredible moment, some it's stressful, for some it's, it's an awesome moment, some it's, it's an expensive moment. And frankly, let's have, let's have an open conversation here. I would say some of us, it's a painful memory in, in your heart that, that you look back and say, wow, did, did I make the right choice? And, and, and there's the experiences you had afterwards that it didn't play out the way you wanted it to. So when we talk about weddings, you need to know that, that in a group like this, that there's a lot of different thoughts about weddings and those experiences. And in fact, i would be real open with you. I... I had a bit of a grieving time in writing this sermon. I'm being, I'm being so serious with you. As writing this and, and, and walking through this whole week and prepping for this and, and, and praying and, and just having this time that, that I knew I was gonna share this message with you, with you I, I, I grieved. And, and the reason is, is, I knew that I was gonna share information that's in the Bible, that, that Jesus said. But I knew that for some of us, I would be misheard, be misinterpreted. My fear, my concern was as presenting this, I was like, what if I don't do an adequate job? And, and, and what if people misinterpret and misthink and, and process things? And, and, and not what I said, but what they think I said. And, and this could become a very divisive topic because those of you who are somewhat aware of what's going on in a culture, you know that weddings have actually, marriage has actually become quite a divisive topic. In fact, at work or in your own families, amongst your friends, definitely on social media, it's become an extremely divisive topic. There are people on both sides that are waving flags in ways that are very hurtful. So I know, I'm well aware, that when I talk nowadays about weddings and marriage, there's a lot more going on. And so I'm going to ask for some maturity. I don't always do that. In fact, I rarely do that. I have a disclaimer in the midst of asking for everyone listening to, to, to behave in a mature way. But I'm going to ask for that very specifically today. I'm going to ask this. Here's what I'm asking. That, that perhaps when I walk through providing an explanation from Jesus of what, what marriage is and what a wedding is. That if you if you adamantly agree and you're passionate about it and you've been making social media posts about it for years and and you're so that that maybe maybe out of maturity you're gonna say, you know what, that might, that might really miscommunicate something. I'm gonna reserve myself today. For those of you who will be in the mood of booing me, (laughs) I'm gonna ask that you just reserve those emotions during this message. Now, let me give you permission for those of you who like, I hate reserving my emotions. When I talk about love, unconditional love, grace, mercy, you can scream as loud as you want and champion that. When I talk about the culture of this church and who we are as a church, that you can champion that. But for those of you who know the divisiveness in which I will talk about, and you'll see it and sense it, that if you could reserve yourself as an act of maturity, say, you know what, I'm just going to be cautious here. There's a mixed group of people here. I'm gonna be cautious with that. I know this seems very heavy, but it's reality, isn't it? And so I just wanted to offer that because the heart of this church is, is that anyone and everyone knows that they are welcome in this place. And so a part of a way to demonstrate that is to be aware that there is anyone and everyone in here. So, in prefacing all of that, uh, let me provide to you a, a, a definition. Last week, I gave you a definition of a funeral. I'm gonna give you a definition of a, of a wedding. And you need to know that I will preemptively say this, that, that we extracted it from the Bible. This is not opinion that I'm gonna share with you. This is not something we pulled from culture. This is from the Bible. But, but let me show you that, that how, we, how we would summarize, how we would define a, a wedding. Here we go. A wedding is a ritual for the purpose of a man and a woman making a public commitment to a covenant relationship. I'm gonna read that just again so we're clear. A wedding is a ritual for the purpose of a man and a woman making a public commitment to a covenant relationship. Now I know immediately, if you haven't already gone there, you, you know exactly where we're talking about regarding the divisiveness, so here's what I'm gonna do for the rest of the message. I'm gonna split this in two and help explain So that you and I know the why. We've got to now know the who and the what and a little bit more context to that. So let's break this open and begin to have the, well, the elephant in the room conversation. The the first part, a man and a woman. I mean, that's the divisive conversation. That's nowadays where where people take sides on it, right? I mean, and and some of you may have had had arguments. In fact, some of you right now might be even feeling tense. You're going, am I not welcome in this place? Oh, quite the contrary. See, we're not a group of people that have assembled because we all live and behave the same. We have not assembled because we all believe the same thing. So do not feel any judgment leaking in on you in a way going, I'm not, oh man. Do not find yourself in a way that you feel ostracized. In fact, I just wanna show with you and walk you through the fact that the Bible teaches this even better, Jesus teaches this. a man and a woman. Now, now here's where a bit of the divisiveness arose from, and, or culminated, or or stopped, or started, depending on your view. Uh, this past June in 2015, June 2015, you know that the Supreme Court uh, made a judgment, locked it in that that every state is to offer same-sex marriages. Now, now some of you, you that brought about conversations or ended conversations. I wanted to point out a couple things that that did not change. Just a couple things, and I'll move on, and we'll get into this, but there's a couple things that that Supreme Court ruling did not change. Here's the the first one that I want you thinking about. That no person's behavior or choices are ever an excuse for anyone else to mistreat them, show hatred or bigotry or judgment in a way that is hurtful or hateful. The Supreme Court did not change how we are to treat people how we're to engage people, how we're to love people. So for some of us, we need to have this kind of a conversation going, yeah, the Supreme Court said that, but that didn't change anything that Jesus said is that we're to love people the way we want to be loved. And frankly, some of us are, just need to close our social media accounts and just back away. And it didn't change any of that. So I, I need to offer you something. And so I can't speak on behalf of the capital C Church, globally or nationally. But what I can do, and I do have the authority to do so, I can tell you on behalf of Fountain Springs Church, if you are living a lifestyle and someone from Fountain Springs has judged you for that, has hated on you for that, has shown arrogance towards you, has flat out been mean to you, I officially apologize to you because that is not the heart of this church. That is not the evidence that we find from Jesus. That is not how Jesus engaged people. He did not hate on them, scream at them in a way that they felt lesser. In fact, no matter who you are or where you come from, you have value, and God, the Creator, gave you that value just flat out by making you. And. I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, if you miss the whole message or you misinterpret the message, you need to know that this is being recorded. And so I will tell you that no matter what you do or how you live, we as a church will love you, but do not interpret our love as just like we don't care. We do care about you. We love you and we love anyone and everyone. The Supreme Court's decision did not change how we are to treat people. Now, there's another side of this coin. See, some of you, well, you won't really hear this because you've already left the church. Some people were very frustrated that immediately upon the Supreme Court's ruling that I did not on the next weekend stand up on stage and address the new legislation. You need to know this, that we do not determine our sermons based on legislation, I do not say, okay, what I'm gonna preach on this weekend, well, what did the Supreme Court do or what did Washington DC do? We do not rely on the government to determine the content of the sermons preached. So if you're waiting on a preacher or a church to rely on legislation, you need to find another place because you're gonna be very disappointed. And in fact, I'm going to tell you, I will never use this responsibility, and that's what I call it. It's not a job for me. It is a responsibility that I am accountable to God for. I will not use this to vouch for anything done with the government. If you want to know this, let me help you just in case you've missed this, is we as a church don't teach that murder is wrong because it's against the law, (laughs) We teach it because it's because it's wrong. And that was laid in place a long time ago by God himself saying it's horrible and wrong. We don't teach that that having an affair is wrong because because it's frowned upon socially. No, it's because it's talked about in the Bible and God spoke to it. I don't need legislation. And this will shock you. What we talk about precedes the establishment of the U.S. government. So I need to state that what the Supreme Court decided, yeah, they decided it, but we have not been relying on them for content in the midst of gathering together. All right. It's unfortunate the conversations we have to have nowadays, but as unfortunate as they are, we will not avoid them. But we will also not react to them. I will listen to God as best as I can, and I'll tell you what he said. That's how this works. If you need something different, there are plenty of options elsewhere, but anyone and everyone is welcome here. By the way, uh, the the marriage controversy, some of you are like, well, that's pretty new. Our our culture's kind of you know, wasting away and, and you're hating on the president and this and that. You need to know that, that marriage controversy is not new. I mean, sure, the, the, the line item, the, the, the specific topic, but, but marriage and weddings have been on the, call it chopping block, for thousands of years. Let's, let's go back a couple thousand years. Let me just highlight the fact that, that marriage and weddings were put on the block. And here's the deal is they weren't worried and concerned about who could be married. They were talking about how do we get out of it? That was the controversy it was like, OK, so I'm not not liking this thing. I want out. I really want out. So that became the controversy. Now, now, a long time preceding that Moses had established what God said is that the way to get out of a marriage, if that's what you're seeking or the only way to, to end a marriage was if someone had been unfaithful. So fast forward to just before the life of Jesus, as in just a handful of years, there was a rabbi. See, Jesus was a rabbi, but there were rabbis before him and after him, and they were teaching all about the scriptures. Now, there was a specific rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, one of the most popular, highest level of followers preceding Jesus. Everyone knew him. Tons of people followed him. He taught the scriptures, but here's what he did. He said, culture's changing. Culture's changing, and and so we've got to tweak a little bit of what was originally written in the scriptures and what God said originally. We've got to tweak it to to fit culture a little bit better. And so people were asking, How do we get out of our marriages? How do we get out of our marriages? He's like, I got some ideas. Let's attack the word unfaithfulness and re. Define unfaithfulness. And so ladies, you're about to hate what I'm saying and you definitely won't like Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel began to teach that uh, fellas, if you want out of your marriage, well, here's the ways that your wife could be unfaithful to you if she spoils dinner. He's already dead. You can't do anything to him. But if you decided, and I'm not joking, if you decided to not really do your hair that day, no joke, he said, you can divorce her because she's being unfaithful to what she displayed and promised to you. If, if she talks bad about the in-laws, I'm not joking, this was written. You could divorce her, you're like, oh wow, like wow, wow. Uh, by the way, uh, mother-in-law, I love you, you are amazing. Uh, there were multiple ways that you could get divorced. If the neighbors heard your wife screaming at the kids or you, Divorce. If you looked or talked at another man in any way whatsoever, divorce. So ladies, you're like, I would hate that man. Some of the fellows are like, mm, I can buy into that. <laughs> and so that's why Rabbi Hillel, who, who the marriage controversy, the wedding controversy at that time, what was huge. He's talking about here's how to get out of it. But there's always been controversy. And so, of course, he had a lot of followers because people wanted to make life as they saw it easier. So here's what I want to do is I I simply want to provide you not with opinion or or cultural trend. I don't even want to say, here's what David Canaan has to say to you. What I want to show you is, so they go challenge Jesus, of course. He's the new rabbi on the block, has quite a following, and he's walking on water doing amazing miracles. And so they go to him, and they want to challenge him. So how do we get out of our marriages? Would you redefine this for us and fix this and help us justify what we're doing? And I want to show you what Jesus said, so let me be very clear. What I'm about to show you is what Jesus said. I'm not talking to you about law. I'm not talking about old school stuff. I'm just gonna show you, because our mission is to show people who Jesus is. So I'm gonna show you the words Jesus used. There were multiple people documenting this at the moment. Multiple witnesses heard this, saw this, and know that Jesus said this about marriages and weddings. Take a look, this is in Matthew, Matthew 19. Haven't you read? Let me just stop for a second. If you don't understand that, haven't read the Bible a lot, you need to know what he's doing. He's affirming. That is a traditional way to affirm something. Now, you also need to catch, he did not say, well, let me tell you my opinion. Jesus did not offer, I mean, many of us were like, well, Jesus, I mean, you can offer your opinion. I mean, you're Jesus. But he didn't even do that. In fact, if you study more and learn about Jesus, when he was tempted, it's recorded, he did not even offer his opinion towards the devil. He quoted the Bible. So what I find very cool is that Jesus responds. They're trying to challenge him. Tell us the new definition of marriage. He says, well, haven't you read? That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then it goes on. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's profound. And I know some of you are like, I don't like that. Some of you are like, well, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, well things have changed. Well, I, my role and what we believe as a church is if Jesus said it, we lock onto it. And we press it into our souls. And we believe that his words are strong and unchanging. Now, now let me explain what he said. You may not have totally gotten that. Let me, let me piece it together uh, through an illustration about marriage. Now, don't get too crazy with this illustration, but just understand. So there's a box. This box, this, this draft of box that, that he laid out. He says, here's the box. And he, and he started off in that using terminology man and woman. You heard that. You heard me say that man and woman. He creates this box. Here's what he's doing. Here's God's design for marriage. He, he didn't change, he just said, here's what's written, and I affirm that, man and woman, and he even gave roles to them. There was husband and wife. And then you even heard about becoming one flesh, sex. So, just to make it awkward, this is the design God made now, for one man, one woman, Forever, inside of that design, that's where sex happens. Now, some of you are like, that sounds boring. Not if you're doing it right. We have a kids ministry. Six weeks to fifth grade. Just trying to help. Some of you are like, I should have listened. I should have listened. Enjoy that car ride home. Uh, If you want to know, not my opinion. I'm not offering my opinion. I'm not offering what culture says. I'm just showing you right now, if you wanted to see it, I'm showing you what Jesus said about marriage. Jesus said, isn't it written, this is the design. Now, some of us are like, yeah, preach it, David. And some of you have been preaching it, in a way that's not helpful. And let me help everyone understand who everyone is in the room. Yes, outside of this design are same-sex relationships. But also outside of this design are couples who are living together because it's financially, well, it makes more sense, but they're not getting married. For those of you looking at things on the internet or renting movies you should not rent, you're outside of this design as well. For those of you who are indulging in your lustful thoughts, for those of you who are having an affair, you're outside of this design. For those of you who are single and just having sex with whomever you want, you are outside of this design. So do not be so quick to pick up a stone and throw it at anybody because you and I... I would contend are equally guilty at times. In fact, you've heard me say this before. I'll just confess to you right now. Katie and I, my wife, we were outside this design while we dated. And before we were married, we even learned that we were expecting our first baby, and we were outside of this design. And I would contend, based on the conversations I've had, the counseling appointments, and just my own personal reality, it's amazing how many of the regrets I have in life and the pains I have related to being outside God's design. So you may call this old school, but I call it the kindness of God saying, here is what is best for you. And in fact, I would word it this way, God's truth for us, is God's best for us. And if that's divisive to you or controversial, I'm just gonna tell you that we will, with love, tell you that Jesus' words are life-giving. Now, I know this has been tense and, and uh, interesting, and, but I will always teach you this. And if all of you leave, I'm okay preaching to myself. (laughs) And I mean that because I need to know God's truth. So let's move on. (laughs) There's the other statement, the other part of this statement that I wanted to break out for us, the public commitment part. Uh, so we've talked about a man and a woman, you understand. Not where we stand as a church, by the way, do not lessen it to that. I've described to you what Jesus said. Now, a public commitment to a covenant relationship. You're like, okay, so, so let me explain this so everyone has great clarity, public commitment. You cannot just look at your girlfriend and be like, hey, we are married now. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can make believe, but no. It's a public commitment. It's always been intended to be a public commitment. It's powerful to me that as we go through these rituals, how public it is. See, if you've ever been taught that your faith and your understanding of God is very private, it's just between you and God, that's a lie. It's never been communicated that way in the Bible. God never intended it that way. It's a public commitment. So, so let, me, let me mess with some of you, because uh, this is fun. Uh, when you get an invitation to a wedding and you attend that wedding, historically, here's what you're doing. When you, every wedding you ever attend, you are saying, "I affirm, I affirm this marriage. That's what you're saying. Historically, that's how that got assembled. The guests of the wedding were saying, we vouch for them. We will spend our lives encouraging them, sharpening them, making them better. And and we vouch for this. We're all for this. We affirm this. Thumbs up. See, I just messed with some of you like, do we go to the wedding or not? But But if if you want to know historically, what the guests at a wedding mean, It is that is the group of people affirming what's happening. Also, a wedding is this formal invitation for God to be a part of it. Now, of course, God is everywhere. He can see anything. He doesn't need invited. But when you invite God in, I think something very special happens. And it's a formal invitation for God to be a part of it and and have this public commitment. And then that covenant word, that covenant word you may not be super familiar with. Covenant? I thought we were talking about marriage. Well, let me show you this in Malachi. Malachi kind of gives a negative connotation, but you'll see it, you have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. A marriage is is not just a contractual agreement. It's a covenant. It's two people, a man and a woman, making a covenant in front of God and other people who affirm it. Now, a covenant, let me explain this more. Covenant is a promise of agape love. It's a promise between two people, promising agape love. Now you're like, wait a minute, agape. I, I got you, don't worry. Agape love is an unconquerable desire to do good for the other person. So let me bring you into a wedding ceremony. You have a man and you have a woman. Here's what's going on. They are promising to each other, I have an unconquerable desire to do good for you. Nothing will conquer that. I will spend the rest of my life, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, till death do us part, I will do good for you. The same is offered back. That's what vows are. It's powerful. It's powerful when you know what's actually going on. You've got God involved in two people saying, there is nothing that can conquer my desire to do good for you. Not, 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 there is nothing that can conquer my desire for you to do good for me. Because Some of you, that's how your marriage works. <laughs> no, no, you're saying for them. You're, you're transferring this relationship where it's not about me, it's about we. You're saying I am going to spend the rest of my entire waking life doing good for you. That's what a covet, that's what a wedding is. So let me offer some guidance for those of you who are dreaming about marriage, are planning marriage, Just ask a very simple question. Is the person that you're thinking of, hoping for, dreaming of, is it a person that you can say with integrity, my desire to do good for them is unconquerable? And for those of you who have been married for any length of time, you will know that marriage is not easy. Marriage is not simple. Marriage will get challenged. But marriage is powerful. And the devil, I believe, will try to conquer your marriage. Now, why? Why does the devil even stink and care about marriages? Here's why. I'll tell you why. Because it is the greatest example Jesus ever uses to explain what he's done for us. You see, when you get married, when you establish and make that covenant, that is the most important human relationship you will ever start. But what's cool is if you read your Bible and learn about Jesus, Jesus calls the church, in other words, Christians, the bride of Christ. In other words, he's saying what a husband and a wife agree to have an unconquerable desire to do good for each other. Jesus is saying, I have that unconquerable desire to do good for you. That's why when you're at a wedding, it's not just those two people. It is a symbol that Jesus loves us so much to sacrifice for us, and to not let his love for us be conquerable. So weddings, oftentimes we we miss out on all these great details. By the way, if you don't know this about covenant, there's symbols all throughout the whole ceremony. Uh, all throughout the whole even reception of covenant. See, covenant was not just like, hey, I make a covenant, big deal, it's all words. There were actions behind it. One of them was if you've ever been at a reception and you've seen the, the bride and the groom kind of intertwine. I can't do it, arms, and then they drink cups and all, and you're like, that sounds sweet, that's neat, let's take a picture, at photo op, right? Uh, it actually, it's rooted in old tradition of covenant. It was a sign of unity. In other words, we can live life together, walking together. Another one is the cake. You're like, wait a minute, I thought, Punch and cake were just good, and so that's why we have it. Well, partially, you're correct. But cake, by the way, which is absolutely amazing. Um, that's real, by the way. And it is my reward for preaching. If you've ever seen this at a reception, you've seen where a bride and a groom, they cut the cake right. You're not supposed to touch it till they do or eat it. Trust me, don't defy that. Uh, they feed each other or smash it in each other's face whichever i mean i was going to do that just so you know i mean we were cutting the cake and i was getting ready to smash it in in katie's face and just over her shoulder i saw my new mother-in-law i was like oh here you go sweetie (laughs) Uh, this cake and the feeding when the two the bride and groom feed each other actually a sign of old covenant, a sign of covenant, a sign of, of, here's this, you never had a meal with someone that you had a problem with. A meal was a sign of, there is no unforgiveness here. We are resolved. There is nothing in between us. And so anytime you ever ate with someone, you were saying, we are together and unified. So that feeding of each other is not just a fun photo op. It's a powerful moment of covenant. Uh, the reception. Most of receptions nowadays, you know, five hours, very expensive. Uh, The old Jewish way, seven days. I mean, they know how to party, right? And you're like, some of you are like, that adds to the bill. No, not acceptable. Seven days of partying in which the, the groom was to treat the bride like she was a queen. Very symbolic of that whole time together. In a wedding, there's all these signs of covenant. And that's what it is. You need to know that at a wedding, a man and a woman are making a covenant in front of witnesses and God. Now, I'm well aware that uh, some of us did not continue on to the sermon as I continued on to it. You're back to the box. You didn't leave the box. When I spoke this, it stopped for you. Now, some of you stopped because you just don't agree. Uh, your opinion is that you just don't agree. Just, you're just locked into. Don't, now, let me caution you. Don't disagree with someone without a foundational understanding. Don't give so much weight to your opinion. But some of you, that's not why you stopped. You stopped because when I illustrated this for you, pressure began to happen. Because in a group this size and in a church this size, There are people listening right now who are living outside of this design. Some of you are having affairs. Some of you are looking at things that you should not look at, going to places you should not go. Some of you are in a same-sex relationship. Some of you are living together, and, and you're like, I'm outside the box. I'm outside of God's design. And some of you felt condemnation. Some of you felt conviction. Some of you just felt this pressure So that's why I wanted to go back because some of you are going, I've lost hope now. So I'm here. Does that mean I'm just out? No. No, not at all. In fact, let me show you something in Hebrews because this has been profound for me. So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believed. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. So, if you want to know, will this church hold firmly to what we believe? And we believe the Bible communicates all about God and that we believe that Jesus is the only way. And so, yes, we will hold true to what we believe in, and we hold firmly to it. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. This should begin to well up uh, hope. It, hope should begin to start flooding back into your heart. Is that he understands our weaknesses? It gets even better. For he faced all of the same testings. All the same testings. So for those of you who have been trashing other people because of temptations and lifestyles they're living, you need to understand, according to the Bible, he faced all of the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. That's where you're like, I'm out. I mean, we know Jesus didn't sin, but many, I think maybe all of us would say, I, we've all been out of. The design in some way, but watch this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. You want to know what you do? If you're outside God's design right now, what do you do? What's your action plan? So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Go to God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So what we're going to do as a church is we're going to steal this. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever lifestyle, whatever lifestyle, you are living, we will give you mercy and grace. As a church, we have locked onto this. We will refuse to withhold grace and mercy. We will teach the truth. We will hold firmly to the truth. But at the same moment of truth, we offer grace because Jesus did. Not because we wanna feel good about ourselves or because it's popular. But frankly, because that's what Jesus did. You know Jesus said to people most of the time? He didn't scream at them and hate on them and, and post about them and this, that. He said, hey, you know, don't do that anymore. His words go and sin no more. So as a church, if you have missed the whole thing, if you missed everything I've been talking about, I just pray this, that you just know that we love you. Better than that, God loves you. And if you're outside God's design, hope is not lost. You go to God and he'll give you grace and mercy.